Hey, dear listener, how are you? Are you doing well? I sure hope so. Well, today, we got three stories for you. First, there's this brand new show that's like so wholesome, it took one of our writers by surprise. Next, we've got what's going on in hurricane science. And last, there's one city that's saying goodbye to library finds. I'm your host, James T. Green, and this is The Dispatch. Culture. Hello, Anne. Hey, James. How are you? Hey, I'm good. So I heard there's a show I should be watching. What show is this? So Red Table Talk is a show starring Jada and Willow Smith from the famous Smith family, and Jada's mother, Adrian Banfield-Jones, and they basically sit in Jada Smith's living room around a red table and talk about different life issues. Like, the first episode was about motherhood. Hey, Facebook family. I'd like to introduce you to two of the most important women in my life, my mother and my daughter. And they just talked about different issues around motherhood and co-parenting, and they talk about body image and loss. And so far, it's just been a really wholesome, nice version of the kind of like therapy reality shows that have been on TV for so many years. So what makes the show like different than the other therapy uh, shows? Yeah, I think that people are just really into seeing people talk about their feelings and their problems because... On one hand, sometimes it can be relatable and useful, and on the other hand, it like indulges our curiosity about other people's lives. But this show, I I find it different because everyone involved is just super nice and respectful of one another, which results in this really open, positive conversation that I think doesn't happen on shows where there's one expert that's telling people how to do something or a show where the people involved that are talking about something don't love each other. So they don't have any investment in, or they have little investment in not like taking each other at their word. Well, I guess it's nice to like have a nice, wholesome place on the internet. Yeah, exactly. And I think that, I don't know, like, I don't know if you have this perception of the Smith family, but I have always thought of them as like a weirdly well-adjusted family Mm -hmm. where like Willow and Jaden don't like get into huge trouble and they seem like pretty cool people with good values and like Will and Jada just seem like fun like their image is just fun Mm -hmm. a fun loving couple I really think that they use that image to their advantage on this show and just like model the kinds of conversations that I think a lot of people wish they could have with their families. Like on the show, like a lot of people probably read in celebrity blogs, Willow talks about self-harming while she was struggling with fame. And oh, wow. I was kind of like just in this gray area of like, who am I? Like, is there like, do I have a purpose? Like, is there anything like that I can do besides this. Just the way that she is able to talk about that with her mom is something that I think a lot of people, young people wish they could do with their parents, but just can't because they're afraid of how their parents will react or judge them or be angry. But when you have this family that is, you know, a rich, so they don't have like 
they have the luxury of not worrying about surviving and bills and stuff like that and be just cool and well adjusted <laughs> it results in this really great conversation that like sort of i think acts as a model for viewers of the kinds of conversations that could be possible in situations where you know people are trying to heal and stuff like that hmm. um in the end it's like just a nice short sweet show that actually makes other talk shows that try to do the same thing look not as wholesome and great. The future. So Caroline, what weather stuff should I be worried about now? All right. So basically over the past 70 years, um, hurricanes have been getting slower. And that doesn't really sound like much, but actually slower hurricanes are a lot more deadly, which... You know, just picture a hurricane moving slowly toward a, a coastline. Right. The longer that it's in contact with a city, with people, with that kind of land, the more rainfall it's going to bring down, the more water it's going to be bringing in from the ocean. So basically, the slower it goes, the longer it lingers, and the more damage that we can see, start to expect from these, from these hurricanes. Okay, but why is this happening? Why are they slowing down? So basically, this probably has something to do with climate change, but the big question is exactly how much. We don't really we don't really know. We know that climate change is changing, you know, the exchange of heat between air and water systems. So there's a lot more energy being exchanged, meaning there's there's more rainstorms. Uh, there's changes in like currents. Certain cur currents are getting weaker. Other ones are getting stronger. And there's changes in these wind patterns. Mm -hmm. And basically, when you look at a hurricane, it's basically just picture like just like a little boat on the water. Um, <laughs> that's basically how storms are positioned relative to, you know, the rest of the atmosphere, actually. Mm -hmm. They're they're very, uh, the scientist that I spoke with, uh, James Cosson, he said that it's, they're very passive. Mm. So when you're seeing these changes in, in the wind, that also means you're going to be seeing changes in where these hurricanes are going and how fast they're moving. Mm. So it's not exactly a future projection, but an indication of a long-term trend. And there's no indication that this trend is going away. Mm -hmm. So we can expect to see more like this in the future, more likely than not. But this is something that's already been happening, you know, since the 1960s. Hurricanes have been getting slower, and they've been staying on land longer, and they've been bringing more water into these cities and coastal areas. Oh, boy. Well, I'm... Hoping that none are coming soon because that sounds terrifying. Unfortunately, June 1st started uh, Atlantic hurricane season. So oh we're probably going to be seeing major storms over the next couple of weeks, which is, it's just, you know, when you're reading about this stuff, it just feels like there's a, there's a lot of tension. I feel like every time I'm checking I'm checking Twitter, looking at the news, or looking at, you know, the NOAA website. I'm just waiting for, for news of a hurricane to break, and it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bad time of year in that respect, you know? Mm. There's, there's not really much we can do about it. I feel like that's, that's one of the most frustrating things about, you know, reading, like, stuff about this. It's, you know, this trend is already happening. It's not—there's uh, not really much we can do other than prepare in the long term, but— there's there's not exactly <laughs> an indication that this is being taken seriously on the on the federal level like uh FEMA's 5-year plan doesn't even mention climate change uh we have climate deniers in various levels of government 
um, it's just not clear that we're taking the steps right now to prepare in the long term for these more damaging storms that we're going to expect. Power. All right. So, Michael, what happened in Baltimore? So Baltimore, um, as of this week, has become the first major library system on the East Coast to totally abolish late fees um, for late books. Oh, cool. So, like, what was the reasoning behind it? Basically, these late fees are discriminating disproportionately against low-income users. Um, And while to some people $10 in fines, which is what a lot of people currently have in Baltimore, may not represent a lot to... A whole other subset of citizens, it's a really big deal. Um, And those fines add up very quickly. And once you're above $10 in Baltimore, um, until this week, your library card would be blocked. So you wouldn't have access to checkout books. Why did this take so long? Like, was there anyone twisting their arm? Like, was there protests that were happening? So I think there are a couple of things going on. There has been a myth that um, the late fees fund the library system. And I'm sure in some smaller towns, that's true. But in Baltimore, late fees only account for 0.25% of their total budget, which is an incredibly small portion to to a major library system. Um, And there is also this kind of paternalistic notion that libraries should teach, quote unquote, personal responsibility. And that's why you have to have late fees. Right. Are other cities taking notice? Yeah. So this is part of a growing movement, I think. Um, And so you have major cities like New York and L.A., which have also gotten rid of fees specifically for children. So they haven't done what Baltimore has done and abolished them completely, but they seem to be working their way there. Mm -hmm. Um, And then other cities, like, for instance, Salt Lake City and Columbus, Ohio and Nashville, Tennessee, have um, already done away with late fees. Baltimore is just the biggest yet to have done so. Hmm. Um, and they've already seen an increase in book circulation because of the, this lack of late fees. So it's clear that like these fees were holding a lot of people back. Oh, that's great. Have you ever had a library fine? Um, I have several <laughs> times. <laughs> what was the book? Um, oh, God. I think it was a Cornelia Funke book. I, I mean, I've there, there have been many. <laughs> it's been a long journey. Today you heard from Andair Gallo, Carolyn Haskins, and Michael Waters. The Dispatch is produced and hosted by me, James D. Green. And our theme is by the fantastic John Lagermarsino. That's it for The Dispatch. I hope you enjoy your weekend. I know I am. I'm really looking forward to just relaxing reading a new book. I'm reading this book, Goodbye Vitamin. It's very intense. So, I don't know. Hope you make some time for yourself. Bye. Remember, do you remember when Casey ran a Twitter poll and it was like, is OFC of course or of fucking course? And then an alarming amount of people were saying of fucking course. That's what I thought it meant. What? (laughs) No, I say OFC like in a work setting, like all the time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which I hope... all the time I've just always thought of fucking course, which I just immediately assumed you were always stoked about stuff. Oh my god, are you serious? <laughs> yeah. No way. Yeah, I always thought it was always fucking course. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it's like because if JFC means that, then obviously I'm going to use the same thing. But it's like of. Yeah, but. If you do of, then why? So you think I've just been saying oh, a fucking course the yeah. entire time? <laughs> because it's just like, why? Like, why would you do OF 
<laughs> like then it's not an acronym anymore. This is so much worse than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. No. But I just assumed you were just always stoked. No. 